Welcome to Dove and Dragon Radio. I'm your host, ML Chuck. Now brought to you by the Internet News Network, Screenworks Entertainment, Atlanta Mix 108, Smooth Jazz Cleveland, and of course, Dove and Dragon Radio. Don't forget to hit the subscribe button down below and join me for all the new interviews. Bye. Welcome to Dove and Dragon Radio, brought to you by the Internet News Network. I'm here with author Eric Melikite. Welcome. Thank you for having me. So you have several books I'm looking at. A little bit of cyberpunk, dark fantasy, cosmic horror, horror, a little bit of everything in here, as it looks like. That's absolutely true. Uh, I've published four books so far, and I've got a number of uh, three entry, I guess, uh, novellas out as well in those uh, three genres. And really the cosmic horror stuff links in with the dark fantasy. It's sort of like a shared multiverse. That sounds wonderful. So which one was the first book or novella or whatever you wrote first? The first book that I published, not that I wrote, because no one's going to see the first book I wrote. It's, it's absolutely awful. <laughs> uh, but the first book that I published, uh, published was uh, Echoes of Olympus Mons. Mm -hmm. It's a cosmic horror story set on Mars uh, surrounding uh, two students that uh, live on Mars and they're a part of sort of like a corporate conglomerate that uh, work study program. Okay. And they invent a camera that images dark matter. And uh, once they see what the camera is imaging in the dark matter, mm -hmm. things start to look back at them and bad things start to happen. <laughs> of course. If you have dark matter to start with, anyone that does know science fiction, dark matter is bad to begin with. So if you have something staring back at you in dark matter, all heck is going to run loose in this. Oh, yeah. Well, I, you know, I thought of, you know, what are the different, because uh, that book was very much uh, inspired by not only movies like Alien and, mm -hmm. uh, but also H.P. Lovecraft's uh, At the Mountains of Madness. That's probably my favorite Lovecraft story because I, I'm a sucker for ancient alien ruins and mm -hmm. stories like i i just eat that up and uh i i just thought it would be really cool to have like a, an entity that or a life form that was maybe composed of dark matter or something like that you know because we haven't really seen something like that before i don't think in fiction uh you know there are energy beings here and there but nothing with a sort of well this if we twist uh, quantum physics a certain way, maybe this could be possible. So I wanted to at least hint at something that could potentially be real and thus make it that much more terrifying. Exactly, because we have to have the science just right, and then we have to twist it just enough to make it interesting. And then we put our own demons and creatures in there as well. 
<laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I've got a bit of a, the, a history with strange phenomena and stuff happening in my life. I'm a science advocate myself. Mm-hmm. I, I write for top tens. I, uh, and now I write for geo and biographics as well. Um, but it's really interesting because um, I have a very, very grounded approach to the way I look uh, to my worldview. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't like believe in magic or anything like that, you know, uh, but I've had a lot of strange experiences in my day, in my 32 years on this earth. <laughs> and I can't explain those things. You know, I've seen things like shadow people. I've, I've been on roads where I hear ghost footsteps, mm-hmm. things like that. So, so a lot of these experiences that I've had in my life that I can't quite explain influence some of the horror in my cosmic horror because I, I want things to be relatable. And I, I assume that if, you know, I've experienced things like this, mm-hmm. then maybe the reader can also empathize with the characters that are going through similar things. Oh, yes. I mean, we have so many unexplained things that happen in our lives as readers, as authors, as just human individuals. Not everything can be explained with science. We try, but not everything can be explained yet. Yet, yet, yeah. Science is continually evolving and changing. So let's Let's hope that someday maybe we'll have some answers to some of these questions because that would be really cool and I could write more articles about it. Oh, I know. Do we want the um, answers to, is there an afterlife? Is there actually ghosts? Is there, you know, another dimension out there? You know, I'll, I'll tell you, I live in uh, Northern Virginia now. I'm from California originally. But uh, there's a place called Occoquan, Virginia, and it has some of the most entertaining ghost stories that I've ever experienced. And I used to live like eight minutes away from the Occoquan River, mm-hmm. and uh, my uh, my old house that I moved uh, moved from in Woodbridge to where I live now was super haunted. <laughs> my, my ex roommate um, went through so much, so much, not a whole lot I can get into here because it's, uh, it's kind of terrifying, oh, but. Uh, I mean, those yeah. are the type of things we need to do on a midnight radio hour yeah, yeah. So I, I won't go uh, get into it, but needless to say, some terrifying things have happened around me. Not so much anymore. Things have calmed down. It's pretty nice. You know, I'm enjoying the lull in paranormal stuff right now. <laughs> but it gives you a lot of things that you can use in books later on. Oh yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, you don't have to be a believer to have things happen to you that you can't oh, no. explain, but then you go back and go, you know what? All these things add up to a wonderful book or movie. Yeah. Yeah. Essentially. And my imagination, I have ADHD myself. So, uh, I have ideas for like 30 books right now, <laughs> just not enough time to write them. You know, I haven't talked to an author yet that doesn't have either ADD or ADHD. I'm guilty as well. So we have 30 books by being wrote at any given time. Yeah, I'm I'm actually in the middle of four at one time. Yeah, I did that this year. 
and I'm just starting to slow down and to start picking up my uh, my article stuff again. And I've got a book coming out next week. No, next month. Uh, next month on the tenth. Okay. It's the the follow up to the book that we're talking about today, which is the Man Without Hands: Selenier's Enigma, Book One. Okay, so. We talked about that one. What's going into the one that's getting ready to come out? Uh, that is actually book two in the mm-hmm. series, The Rise of Orzeth. And it's obviously the continuation of events that happened uh, in book one. And uh, uh, I'm going through an improving copy edits right now. And it's, it's pretty epic. <laughs> um, so essentially what Seleniar's Enigma is, it's uh, sort of a, a uh, spin-off, if you will, of the Astralands Mythos series, which started with Mind's Horizon last year. Okay. Um, and it follows a doomed people as they struggle against eldritch beings that are trying to wipe them out in sort of a uh, a pocket dimension or an alternate reality that uh, than the one that we live in, mm-hmm. as well as we're following somebody as he's attempting to unleash an eldritch being upon our earth, which will have ramifications on his home world in this other dimension. But it's sort of like if Game of Thrones had an illegitimate child, illegitimate Lovecraftian child, can't forget that part, with Avatar The Last Airbender. Okay, I see where that's going. <laughs> you would have, you would love to talk to my daughter about this because she can take things and twist them so well. And she is my Fifty Shades of Grey mixed with Stephen King. <laughs> uh, yeah, <laughs> I'm a big fan of Stephen King. Actually, I, I I love his Dark Tower series. I love his books. I do. And the things that she writes with her creatures would make him cringe. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I know how he would react to my stuff. <laughs> I have not met Mr. King, but seriously, the stuff that my 17-year-old daughter writes, I'm like, and she's never been exposed to his books or his movies, which makes this even more interesting. That is really interesting. Mm-hmm. Uh, I actually have a really uh, kind of an anecdotal funny story about Stephen King. It's more about his wife. Um, but there was a manager at one of these stores because I used to run a, a chip route back way back when. Okay. And uh, one of the s- uh, store managers at Harris Teeter, he was from Bangor, Maine. And he would talk about how uh, he used to be like a, t- uh, a manager at a bank and he would be behind the desk most of the time and she would come in and address him as corporate puppet. <laughs> and uh, he, ne- he, he interacted with Stephen King a couple of times, but he had a very adversarial <laughs> relationship with Tabitha King for some reason. And uh, it, it was kind of a funny story. Yeah, I, I can see how that would go. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> you put some of these authors in different settings and the dialect that you get from that turns into something that is stranger than fiction. 
<laughs> yeah, I, I can only imagine what uh, King's personal life must have been like to inspire some of these things. I mean, he seems like a really down to earth person, mm-hmm. and like I love watching his interviews with uh, with George R. R. Martin. Mm-hmm. I, I think one was released last year, and that that just that kind of made my day when I saw it. <laughs> just uh, yeah, him, him talking about where his ideas come from because he doesn't know. <laughs> Yeah, no one knows what, what goes into his mind to create some of these. And then you have uh, people that he'll tweet something, and then you have his followers go, do you even know what this book is about? Did you even read it? I'm like, yeah. Uh, I've had some of, those, uh, <laughs> some of those interactions myself. Yeah. It's like, you're talking to the author that wrote it. Yeah, we kind of know what we're talking about when we're discussing our book. Did, did you well, read well, it? I mean, there, there's a certain amount of leeway when it comes to interpretation. Mm-hmm. And uh, I don't think there's anything really wrong with that. I mean, once you hit publish, mm-hmm. the, the, it's kind of out of your hands. Yeah. You know? I mean, with self-publishing now, you can you can edit it if there are major problems, but... I have a rule that I don't make major changes to a book that isn't, you know, oh, I found a grammatical error or I found a typo on page 100 or something. Um, because it's not good for, say, if a reader enjoyed that version. Mm-hmm. And I'll tell you, one of my favorite books, one of my favorite books of all time, and it's the first book in the Chronicles of Amber series by Roger Zelazny, okay. has two instances where the same line is repeated because he, he wrote those on a, on an old school typewriter. Mm-hmm. I'm guessing that's where that came from, but it, it's in every single edition. And I only noticed it my third time through the book. Every book has errors and you know, you just got to deal with them sometimes. And I, I think if most people are not going to catch a minor tiny error, you might, you might worry about that. But as long as you're not publishing something that's <laughs> that is, um, I'm looking for a delicate way to put it. <laughs> Horribly grammatically and spelling errors everywhere. That'll work. That'll work. <laughs> okay, so I'm a different kind of author. My first book has I actually have a letter letter wrote into each of my books where it says. There are grammatical errors, there's misused words, and there's misappropriated spellings. This is intentional. This comes into play in book eight. Why? Oh, yeah. Yeah. So I actually have this because I had a reader go, your book needs to be edited. You, You know, I'm like, no, it's not. Okay, so I went back, put in the letter, so... Hey guys, this is intentional. You have to read the entire series to understand why this is intentional. Hmm. That's an interesting concept. I mean, I I did something similar toward the end of Echoes of Olympus Mons because mm-hmm. the main character is losing his mind. So we decided to keep sort of break uh, some rules to highlight that insanity. Mm-hmm. And let me tell you, nobody noticed. Yeah. <laughs> Nobody noticed. <laughs> yeah, it, it's just like, okay. So we put things, little Easter eggs in our books, especially when we know it's going to be a series. 
and then no one notices, but everyone notices everything that we didn't put in the book. Well, I think with that, that takes time. Those Easter eggs take time to discover, especially with, uh, with books mm -hmm. and, uh, this, this latest, um, dark fantasy book is ending up over 130,000 words. So uh, I'm sure there's plenty of things for people to catch, you know, however many years down the line. Right. You know. I'm going back through, I'm reading an Anne Bishop, which is a uh, dark fantasy. Mm -hmm. This is my third time reading the book and just came out in March and I'm going through, Oh, there's an Easter egg here. Oh, I'm getting that now. And I have to read her books three to five times to understand where she's going. Yeah, it, it's kind of a shame that we've moved towards a, a society that's uh, relentlessly obsessed with productivity. Mm -hmm. You know, so many people are, and myself included, I'm struggling to find time to read because I need to work constantly, mm -hmm. especially since COVID. Mm -hmm. You know, everything has been affected. Yes. <laughs> You know, my girlfriend does not want me getting a, a, a normal job around people. She's like, mm -mm. <laughs> so. See, this is about as much peopling as I do. I can't no longer be around people because of my anxiety. Yeah. Uh, going to the grocery store is excruciating now. I dread it. Mm -hmm. I try to avoid it at all costs. <laughs> if I can... If I can last another day by eating that can of beans in my doomsday closet, I'll do it. <laughs> oh, yeah. I have to have my MP3 player while I'm in this grocery store playing something calming or I can't go to a grocery store. Yeah. Yeah. I don't blame you. Especially I, I, walk into a Walmart and half of the people there are not wearing masks. See, I'm not so much worried about the COVID. I'm worried about the people in general. So? I, it's more being around just everyday people than I am worried about germs and getting sick and all of this other stuff. But that's me personally. I've also yeah. survived COVID once already. So I have a different view of everything. So, so you were actually diagnosed with it? Mm -hmm. Wow. Yeah. I'm sorry. <laughs> I have different views on everything. Well, I have, look at me, I've been three strokes and brain surgery. Oh, wow. So, yeah. I survive things. I you are a survivor. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So my view on people doesn't come from germs and everything. If I'm, if this is my time, it's my time. That's my view. I go on every day. Tomorrow's not pro promised. So what can I get done today? That's my my outlook on this whole thing is that the mask is there to help reduce whatever I have. Mm -hmm. I don't I don't have COVID because I've been isolated. I've got COVID hair. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I had a caveman beard before I jumped on this call. Mm -hmm. um, it's to reduce any chance that say uh, reduce the chances of particles from my breath. Mm -hmm. Say if I was asymptomatic and I had COVID from getting to you. And if you wear a mask, mm -hmm. that also reduces the risk as well. And I just think personally, this is me, mm -hmm. that 
I would rather, you know, be safe and secure in my knowledge that I'm doing everything that I can to protect other people around me and not infect them. Mm-hmm. But that, you know, that's me. And um, uh, I, I also have a strict code of believing scientists when they say that something is necessary too. But I mean, that's, that's all I'll say about that. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we all have our different views, but at the same time, I'm, Tomorrow I might get hit by a bus. That's me. I'm going to knock on my desk right now. (laughs) But, you know, I don't look for tomorrow. I look for today. But at the same time, I believe you wanted to do a reading on your story. Oh, yeah, I did. I did. Um, I'm going to do an excerpt. And I've been streaming on Twitch lately, improving my uh, live readings. A very nice person named Chris has been helping me out with uh, some of that. And we're going to read from one of the villains chapters. Okay. And this is from which book? Uh, The Man Without Hands. I can begin when you're ready. Go right ahead. Chapter four, Corey. The burn marks on the wall had been easy enough to paint over. He'd gone to the hardware store to look for the correct shade of white, but unfortunately only found shades that were slightly different from the original color. The result was a strange splotch about the size of a man on what had been Corey's wall. Learning to drive Corey's truck had been a challenge, After some trial and error down the long road outside his house, he'd figured out how to make the vehicle travel at a consistent pace. He could refine this skill further later. The doorbell rang. Kurt set down the brush on the rim of the paint canister and opened the door to find a familiar-looking pot-bellied sheriff standing there. His name was Luke, and looking at him, Kurt could almost feel the man's fist slamming into his emaciated gut again. Good morning, Mr. Johnson, the sheriff said. It was still strange getting used to people recognizing him as this other man, a man that he had so recently incinerated. Can I help you, officer? Kurt said. Well, there's been an explosion down at the old asylum in Dover. A very dangerous patient escaped to uh, managed to escape in all the confusion. We were wondering if you'd seen him recently. The officer took out a photo and showed it to him. It was a security cam photo of himself, right before he'd fried the building's electronics with a pulse from his aura. Haven't seen him since you rode off with him at the cabin. The sheriff cocked his head up. His eyes were the color of mud, but his stare was anything but dim-witted. Is everything all right? Damn it, he'd forgotten Corey's unique way of speaking. Why wouldn't it be, officer? He asked, trying on the accent. The sheriff's bushy eyebrow rose, as if there was a question hanging on the edge of his lips, on the edge of reason. Mind if I come in for a bit? Kurt felt his eye twitch. He really didn't have to have time to entertain this fool. Sure. He led the officer into the living room where he'd killed Corey. Would you like something to drink? I can put a coffee on. Or if you prefer something with a bit more bite, I got a whiskey that'll take the stains right off your teeth. 
I'm on duty, Mr. Johnson. Coffee's fine. The sheriff stopped in the middle of the room, eyeing the large, freshly painted part of the wall. What happened here? Oh, you know, I had one of them old television sets there, and the damn thing caught fire the other night. Almost burned my whole damn house down, I tell you what. The officer nodded. Kurt left the living room, grabbed a couple of coffee cups from, the, from Corey's cupboards, and filled them with a fresh pot he'd brewed. If there was one positive thing he could say about this strange world, played, plagued with an overabundance of Moscow, it was a strange, bitter, hot beverage. Kurt returned to the living room and handed the sheriff a cup. The man took a sip, and he could tell by the way the sheriff winced that it tasted like crap. Kurt liked his coffee strong. The sheriff set the cup down on the, on the coffee table. Are you certain this man hasn't contacted you? Officer, I don't know what the, I don't even know what the fellow's name was. He could feel himself slipping further into the character of Corey Johnson. It was almost amusing. If I knew anything, well, hell, I'd tell you. Right. The officer sighed. It's just that this guy is dangerous, and the director of the correctional facility suspects that he had something to do with the explosion. I find that hard to believe. Kurt felt a tiny grin form on his face. Why exactly is that? Well, they don't give them patients much when they're locked up, right? Gotta be awfully hard to start a fire when you got a straitjacket tying you up. Not to mention the guy had no hands. I guess you have a point. The officer approached the door. Kurt opened it to show him out. Well, I guess that's all. If you think of anything that might help us locate him, you give us a call, you hear? I will, officer. Good luck. The door clicked shut. Kurt released the Sulin he'd been building in secret, just in case he had to kill the Moscow. There could be no missteps in this. But there, had, there was more to it than that. Kurt wanted to kill the man. After the indignities he'd put up with the first time they'd met, he felt he owed it to the officer. And that's as far as I'll go. <laughs> that is awesome. And I look forward to reading more. If I, I said that, where can our listeners and our viewers find you? You can find it on Amazon right now. And in about three months, it will be publishing wide as well. So, you, so if you're not a fan of the Zon, I understand. Mm-hmm. It will be going wide as well in about probably two months by now. Two months? I, uh, probably October. Yeah. But uh, The Man Without Hands is on Amazon right now. You can pick it up in print or Kindle format. Awesome. Unfortunately, you won't have your wonderful voice reading it. So are you going to be doing an audio soon? Oh, I absolutely will. And uh, you can look forward to me not stuttering in it. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, uh, Yeah, I'm actually going to be doing the audio book. I'm a little swamped right now, but I've recorded some preliminary chapters. And I'm going to re-record those because I've gotten better uh, Mm performance-wise. And I'm going to be redoing that. And, uh, that is awesome because you definitely have the voice for it. All right, thank you. Well, I thank you for being on the show today. And for all of our listeners and our viewers, happy reading. Thank you for having me. And have a wonderful day, Eric. You too. Bye. Bye.